This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host Snigdha and with me today are two News Laundry reporters, Nidhi Suresh and Ayush Tiwari. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Both of you. It's, okay. it's going better for us because we are not on leave, <laughs> but you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slowly dying well, in Delhi. I know. I I feel really guilty. You know. I mean, almost guilty. <laughs> oh, you should. <laughs> all of you guys, all my other friends are in stuck in Delhi, and mm-hmm. I'm yeah. here breathing clean air, staring at clear blue skies. <laughs> Well, you can you can describe more, you know. Really helps. <laughs> Hearing the birds, different bird calls, crickets oh, yeah. singing. The birds uh, in Delhi flowers, also just so I you can know. Smell beautiful flowers all around me. <laughs> and also, I get to look at the Kanchenjunga every day. So yeah. Ah, that's nice. <laughs> now you can curse me all you want. <laughs> No, I mean, why should I curse you? I was in Uttarakhand myself, you know, uh, in mid-November. Ah, I so I got to see my share of the mountains. But of course, oh, you are at home, lovely. so that must be even better with your family. Yeah, I know. Nidhi, how's it going for you? I was just going to say, I have nothing. Like, I can only feel jealous. I only open my oh. door and look at my neighbor and her very happening life. So... <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's begin and uh, before we begin i want to tell all the new listeners about news laundry uh, we are a hundred percent ad-free news platform and we need your support to stay afloat so please do subscribe to us and pay to keep news free you can go to our website newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner of the website and if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, and any other platform, remember we have a website, brand new website actually, called newslaundry.com, where you can head over to and check out other cool stuff that we do, like interviews, podcasts, and of course, original reporters from the ground. Yes. All right. So let's uh, hit it off with some bizarre news stories, shall we? Yeah, so of course it's in the front pages today and it's almost disconcerting that this is not some fringe uh, news from a small town which is bizarre but the state of uh, Madhya Pradesh Mm. uh, in addition to the states of Haryana, Mm. UP and Karnataka all BJP rule states is mulling over introducing a law on love jihad which uh, is an ideological movement by the Hindu right of course as we know Uh, where they say that Muslim men are conspiring to, you know, first lure Hindu women to marrying them and then converting them. And this law uh, has, if you read the Indian Express report from Bhopal, they say that it not only has punishments of five years for, say, you know, if if any person is forced to marry or convert, but also has punishment for people who might be seen as assisting the whole marriage. And while forced conversion is of course, the you know no no one's batting for forced conversion. But if you're going to have an ideological law, then you're going to have an ideological implementation. And it's clear the way things go that it this this will be used if it comes into force to target Muslim men. 
so it's very um, really uh, takes a blow at constitutional liberties and you know the consenting adults we have reported on cases where people are always mistakenly trapped into ca- these cases and they are hounded by the local right wing groups so it's it's really bizarre and it's a uh, very disencouraging and nidhi why don't you tell us your bizarre news for this week yeah so uh, my bizarre news of the week was uh, probably headlines that came up yesterday which most of us saw this was a 7 year old girl in kanpur who was found dead basically um, a childless couple as ndtv reported uh, had paid 1000 uh, rupees to two men to uh, sort of kidnap this child and they wanted to perform some sort of occult ritual where they needed this child's liver so the two men for 1000 rupees were allegedly drunk and first tried to rape her then killed her and her body when they found when the police finally found the body it was found with the liver extracted i mean oh i just found the whole thing extremely extremely um, heartbreaking and bizarre and what not all right uh, so let's uh, begin today's conversation with uh, ayush uh, now what we're going to be talking about is related to the recently discovered scam or tampering with television rating points or trps and in case you've missed out on what happened with the whole trp scam i shall brief you very quickly now last month the mumbai police had announced that uh, three tv news channels uh, two marathi and one being republic tv uh, all three were un- under investigation for the manipulation of trps right now the police said that the investigation was a uh, part of this larger analysis on the manipulation of new trends news trends sorry and how this false narrative was being spread and uh, mumbai police's chief paramveer singh who also happens to be arnab goswami's enemy number 1 uh, if you remember if you've been watching republic tv uh, you'll know so paramveer singh had said that uh, you know the bank accounts of all these tv news channels will be investigated and uh, they'll also check uh, all the funds that they have been receiving from the advertisers and whether they are a part of uh, you know quote unquote proceeds of crime so that happened and then uh, they also said that more uh, tv news channels could be investigated right under this whole scam thing and now as we all know uh, listeners that uh, ratings are extremely important when when it comes to television especially news right because that is how advertisers decide which channel they want to pay uh, to carry their advertisements right and um, obviously higher the rating means that channel has a wider audience and uh, that is exactly what the advertisers want now uh, so after all of this uh, you know after the whole hullabaloo regarding the trp scam uh this uh, body called bark or the broadcast audience research council they decided to take the higher road and announced uh that um, they were going to be suspending uh, tv ratings for 3 months right now bark is a body that uh, conducts that carries out these rates these channels right so they said that oh you know we're going to stop rating these channels for 3 months but our uh, brilliant ayush here decided to fix the spotlight on bark itself and that resulted in his recent report which is titled uh, trp scam barks tv audience measurement system is rotten and that is exactly what we shall be discussing today so ayush uh, let's uh, begin uh, the discussion with the origin of this body called bark can yeah. you tell us more about the origin of it so before bark came into the scene in 2015 we had a body called tam 
which used to uh, do what Bach does now, which is measure TV audience. And they were, again, just like Bach is under fire now, uh, they had gained a lot of notoriety because... For example, Bach has some 44,000 meters to measure your TRPs around the country. I think TAM had some 9,000 by the time it was moded, outmoded in India. And the biggest criticism that had come for TAM came from NDTV, which had taken it to court in New York. That's because there is no particular law in India where you can say that, you know, you can call it a scam in your media headlines, but there's no IPC section saying TRP manipulation is an offense. You can at most convict someone for cheating, you know, which is almost, you can say, a minor crime and there's no major punishment. So even though Mumbai police might be putting it, giving so much attention to Republic, it's, it won't really get them into anything substantial, even if they're convicted. So TAM faced a lot of criticism uh, and by the time 2015 came, the Modi regime came, the government mandated Bach to do exactly what TAM did. And the difference with Bach is that it's owned uh, by the industry, which is the broadcasters by this body called the Indian Broadcasters Federation, IBF, which owns 99.99 stakes in Bach. And it has a governing board where it has 60% representation and the rest 40% is given to advertisers. So they say key broadcaster advertisers together come and run Bach. Okay. So that's the origin story. And when it came out, it was welcomed as this blue-eyed boy of TV ratings measurement because everything seemed to be in place, you know. Everything was fixed apparently, which obviously turned out to be different. So uh, Ayush, can you tell us about the basic functioning of um, this body, Bark? I mean, you know, they have a bunch of uh, committees, a disciplinary committee, a technical committee. So, uh, of course, since they use 44,000 meters around the country, uh, at every now and then they say that they survey these households or at least one fourth of these meters are replaced and, you know, they found new homes where to put them up. So they, they have members which um, also listen to complaints about manipulation or unfair practices, which is a disciplinary committee. So um, unfortunately, and this is one of the criticism I have of Bach in my story, as people say that it's also very opaque. So we know these disciplinary committees exist, but we don't exactly know how it functions and uh, who calls the shots and where do things go. Because of course, it's a private body and you can't file an RTI to ask them what they do. But in terms of functioning, this is what we know, is that it's almost mediates between advertisers and broadcasters to give them data on what is being watched. All right. So Ayush, in your uh, report, you had mentioned that the parliamentary committee, which was looking into this TRP scam and BARC, they said that some of it, uh, some of its members had described the Bach system as easily manipulated and not very scientific and accurate, right? Yes. Uh, can you can you explain this, elaborate on this further? So the INB ministry made a presentation before this parliamentary committee on IT, headed by Shashi Tharu. And I got hold of the presentation where, and it said that there have been 11 FIRs that Bach has filed around the country saying there were cases of manipulation. This is in Assam, in Telangana, in Madhya Pradesh, and Maharashtra, of course. And it also said that there were 31 complaints uh, that Bach had received from, I think, news channels. And it had addressed at least 19 of them, and it had, uh, you know, given out some sort of redressal. So at least we know that Bach has ad- admits to this amount of, you know, some discrepancies that creep in its, into its own system that people are uh, committing these kind of frauds. So 
we don't know what exactly these communications happen because these proceedings are uh, secretive almost but when the some members of the uh, of the parliamentary committee did, did speak to the media they said that they found that it was not just uh, allowed for easy manipulation but not even a true representation of what people in india like to watch and that is the what i've elaborated on in the report right ayush can you tell us that why is it that you know now people are suddenly saying that uh, this uh, rating system does not reflect a true indian viewership you know the problem is that uh, although there are legitimate criticisms of bark but there's also a lot of politics involved in this whole trp game and recently what has happened since at least the lockdown is that the viewership of news channels has gone up but their revenues have declined the advertising revenues and the most striking thing about english news in india is that only 1% of 80, 862 million people that is some 8 million people in india are really watching english news which is a very small market and then you have 12 channels to cater to it so it's extremely small and it's extremely fragmented and when you are fighting for that 1% pie and then your revenues fall despite your viewership increasing there will be clamor among channels uh, and there will be allegations flying around so partly a lot of a lot of this has to do with the, these almost monetary desperations that these channels are going through uh it's a fight for survival as one person told me at the uh, you know news broadcasters federation that they are literally this is literally a fight battle for survival and this is why we now have cases coming up where i think it's usually one channel leaking the other channels <laughs> misdemeanors to bark and that's how these things come into news so this is why i think primarily why we are hearing about this a bark uh, the rating system that they use they use these machines called barometers right yes So can you tell us a little more about these barometers and uh, how they are used to rate news channels and why are these machines outdated now Well these barometers you know they the measurement system not just comes with these meters which are called barometers in time days they used to be called people meters but they also come with a remote so say if you have uh, you are one of the 44000 households which has these meters and it's connected the machine is connected to your set top box so if you have like in my family there are three members my parents and i so, and every member on that remote has a button so when you sit down to watch the tv you have to press that button so that the machine knows that this person is now watching and then when i go away then i press the button again so that the meter knows that i've stopped watching now why is bark interested in this because advertisers want to know that my they want to know my age and they want to know my gender so that when they want to advertise say let's say an amazon echo dot you know alexa uh, they won't really uh, advertise it to my parents who fall you know in their 40s and 50s they target a younger audience so they want to know what what is the gender and age of this person who wants to whom we advertise these things right the demographics yes so mm-hmm. there is this meter and there is this remote and that every channel you watch has a distinct audio component which is not edible to you and me but the machine catches that audio and with that it can identify which channel is playing right this is called audio watermarking simple and one of the most uh, interesting things i learned while doing the story is that for channels it does not matter how many people watch it but more important is how many people watch it for how long 
which is this metric called the average time spent, which is why you have channels, at least news, chan- news channels, desperate for viewership, shouting and constantly when they're reporting, jumping around and the cameras are moving. It's because studies have shown that when the camera moves and the frame is constantly changing, people tend to stick to the channel right. more. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned the stickiness factor in your yeah, report. It's called the stickiness said, yeah. factor. So mm. when Pradeep Bhandari is jumping around on TV, <laughs> <laughs> on Indu Chakrabarti from NDTV, who was the former senior managing editor, told uh-huh. me that he's doing so because that idea is being taken to its logical conclusion. Is when he jumps around, people will stay, and when people will stay, that metric will rise, and therefore the TRPs will increase. So that uh, it's just not so that you reach you. I simply flip to a channel and then I change it, change it two seconds later. I should be there at least in bark system till 30 seconds because the moment I hit 31 seconds, a minute is awarded to me as a channel. Right, right. And right, that right. minute is mm. the primary data and then uh-huh. bark puts some calculations and then you get the final TRP on that. I see. You know, you, uh, you know, talking about changing of frames and co- camera movement, it, it reminded me the first image that came to my head was Arnab Goswami during the general elections last year. Remember how he was moving round and round. The camera was moving round exactly, and round. Exactly. That <laughs> almost, yeah. you know, made the audience dizzy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Ayush, I have two questions. First yeah. is, um, so how do these? Obviously, now uh, you know we know that TV, cha- uh, these uh, TV news channels are they are aware of where these uh, meters are installed, right? Hmm. So first of all, how do they find out? And mm-hmm. second is, uh, why are the... So you mentioned that uh, the sample size is 44,000, right? right? Meters are fixed in 44,000 households in India. Right, right. right? Now, why are the sample sizes of uh, TV audiences in other countries much smaller? You mentioned it in your, in your report as well. Much smaller yeah. compared to India. Yeah. So first question, you know, the mm-hmm. box uh, and the households where these meters are uh, boxed, claims and ideally it should be secretive and Bach says that it is secretive that these information if it leaks out you know almost constitutes a violation uh, a legal violation in Bach's eyes but then channels have dedicated distribution teams which are not editorial they are not marketing but distribution team which follow the bark data to the last uh, you know last detail really so uh, and if you're working for a channel for say five ten years after some point in time in the same industry you will be you will come to know where these look uh, meters are first of all the reason is because bark does not itself go and put these meters into households it gives these jobs to other agencies there was hansa i think in the case of uh, republic tv so say one Hansa guy goes, he has a job for two years, he goes putting around these bark meters, then he leaves the job, he joins the news channel and something else and then he leaks these details out. So these things known. Second way you can do it is say if there was a, uh, we, we know at least that there are 2000 meters in Bombay, let's say there are 2000 in Delhi also, right? Now there was a riot in Delhi in February uh, now no one would be sitting home really uh, watching TV or general entertainment channels when there's a riot, there's a power outage. So when uh, these in in the, in these events when they happen, uh, once particular geography the broadcast really dips, and if if it has a substantial effect on your viewership, then you can guess that if the rating has dipped in this geography when the riot was happening, means there are good number of meters in that area. Or the opposite, if the ratings doesn't dip, then you can say there are not many number meters in that area. So uh, over the years, because of floods, power outages and riots, these things are easy to figure out whether 
given geography has any meters and then of course then you have to send a guy and over a time there are these middlemen called consultants who can if you them pay them 2000 3000 4000 they'll ultimately let the cat out of the bag and you'll know where the meters are to answer the second question you know, a lot of criticism that bark faces does have to do with the fact that it only has 44000 but if you look at the data that uh, try has put up uh, actually 44000 turns out to be a decent number because when you're calculating say what people watch say when you do an opinion poll or an exit poll all the companies which tv channels uh, tie up with every election season they also have a sample size of 5 10 15 000 so to determine to get an idea a rough but at least a appropriate idea about what people do 44 000 is not a bad number it's just that in india it seems to be difficult because we uh, the viewership in india cuts cuts through class your uh, caste your languages which is the most crucial one so it does muddy up uh, you know the ratings game so if chile has only say i think 6 700 meters or hong kong has the same number but then the chile and hong kong do not have the kind of uh, you know diversity the kind of access that india has so those uh, th- those numbers then they do not make a difference but here the same amount or the same percentage which is 0.1 or 2 something does end up making a lot of difference so there are good and bad sides to that 44000 number but uh, in itself alone i think it's not much of a problem so i wish now that you've uh, told us about you know uh, how our tv channels can find out where the barometers are placed and then according uh, manipulate the ratings what are the other ways in which they manipulate ratings well you know the two other uh, methods which is you can you, ca- you can't say it's really rigging or outright tampering but it's a unfair practice is the landing page feature and there's one another thing called multiple lcn uh, so the landing page is simply that when you open your tv a channel op- opens up right now when you open the channel uh, you haven't chosen to watch that channel you haven't made a decision that you're going to watch the channel it just happens that the local cable operator has partnered with that channel and they've decided that this is what's going to open up to now now that won't make much of a difference if you open sony right because in a country that watches six, uh, say 60% viewership is of entertainment channels like star plus and colors and sony 44000 ka 66 60% would be what 26000 meters so uh, 10 15 homes may you have sony on the landing page doesn't make a difference but if you have Uh, English news channel, say Republic opening up, then one percent of forty-four uh, thousand uh, would mean what for four hundred and forty meters. So if you get four hundred and forty, may if you get fifty houses to open channel and open the TV and you have Republic, then you can seriously alter the ratings. Right? It's it's, it's simple math. Is that in a very ultra niche market like English news, landing page feature, and if a channel gets it, can make a lot of difference. so that's one unfair practice and there's been you know the government of india has told bark that they should discourage it bark has said that it's wrong then times now says it's right now they're fighting a legal battle it's a protracted issue and god knows when they will come up with a solution but what we have an acknowledgement on from all sides is that it's an unfair practice and news channels at least shouldn't be doing it the second one is the multiple lcn problem where a channels can simply get uh, multiple frequencies on the tv so you can have Uh, say republic tv on 202 302 402 and as as i'm surfing through it uh, you know uh, arnab is shouting of course so each time he's saying something i might just watch it for 10 12 seconds 
But if I watch it 10-12 seconds on all these three different frequencies, then I give it 36 seconds and Republic gets that minute, right? Because th- more than 30 seconds, you get the minute. So again, that's again considered an unfair practice in the profession. And Bach simply has said that it's not this multiple LCN is not Bach's problem. This should be something between the regulators and the TV channels and they should sort it out among themselves. But the this people told me within industry and I spoke to a lot of them, they said Ki, all channels do it, you know. And we might you might not see it in your TV, but there are local cable operators across India, hundreds of them. And you can have, uh, for example, in 2016-17, you had uh, Republic TV really being watched in one neighborhood of Chennai and one household in Gujarat, which made a lot of people very suspicious because uh, Arnab Goswami is not that popular in South India for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> there are dominant regional channels operating out of uh, South, you know, it has its own landscape. Uh, so it was very odd to speak for people to realize looking at the data that some neighborhood in Chennai is really interested in watching Republic TV hours and hours in a day. So these things, you know, this is how manipulation is done and it's easily do. It's It can be done very easily. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are you sure? I mean, a lot of it has to do with outdated technology that is being used, right? Yeah. yeah. So, what are the other better options available? You spoke to some people and they mm-hmm. mentioned uh, some new things, interesting things. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, the most interesting thing is that, first of all, your viewership uh, cannot be simply measured on TV in 2020 a lot of the audience has moved over to ott platforms a lot of people watch things on their phones a lot of people don't even watch things at their home they'll probably go outside and watch something you know in a cafe at a dhaba so i think the biggest criticism of uh, bark at this moment when we say outdated technology is that it has no mechanism to measure audience on your OTT platforms or your digital platforms on your phones. And Bark, uh, we spoke to one person called Mahira, who works for agri- news ag- content aggregator company in uh, North America. And they uh, usually aggregate South Asian content. And she said that in US and in most other countries in the Western world, you have measuring agencies which account for OTT viewership, which account for what you watch on your phones, which Bark does not do. So it's outdated in that sense, first of all, for not incorporating those metrics. Second is in its technology. Uh, as we said, you know, Snigda, and this is a question to all of you. If someone from Bach came to you and said, I'll put a meter at, at, on your TV and I'll give you a remote and you, you know, we'll track whatever you watch and you have to press this button when you sit down towards and you have to press another button when you finish, would you say yes? No, it's too much yeah, hassle. Exactly, you wouldn't say yeah. yes. So the people who end up saying yes are people who, you know, uh, have to be given some sort of an inducement to have the meter Mm. in their homes. Mm. So what ends up happening is if you can induce them to have a meter, you can also induce them to watch certain channels. Absolutely. And and a bigger problem, it's one economic group that comes to be overrepresented in the whole sample. So you don't have, uh, you don't know, uh, then advertisers at the end of the day do not know what, say, affluent people are watching. Some people just want to target the audience sitting in defense colony, but then defense colony people do not want meters at their home. So how do you account for their viewership? You know, what do you, how do you target them? So that's one biggest problem that this meter and this remote is very cumbersome. You have uh, people like Pankaj Krishna at Chrome 
who say they have technologies like what is known as audio fingerprinting is that they simply put a phone in front of the TV and the channel is going on and that phone simply captures what channel is you're watching and it can also capture it for the amount of time you're watching it. So there are better technologies. There's an RPD system which everyone in the industry knows is a better alternative. You won't even need a meter. You can simply measure what people are watching through their set of boxes, which are in millions. So your sample from 44,000 would jump to at least 80, 19 million if you simply switch to that. Mm. But then these, these things require capital. You have to invest a lot of money. But everyone agrees that that's a better system. So even by contemporary standards, Bach seems to be not just uh, easily tamperable, but it's just uh, outdated as a technology. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but uh, I mean, it does seem like they're trying to save their ass right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, that's the end of that discussion. Now uh, we'll come to Nidhi. Now, listeners, uh, the following conversation will contain descriptions of sexual violence that might leave you disturbed. So please do consider this a trigger warning. So did you guys know that on average, according to this 2019 National Crime Records Bureau report, 87 women are raped in India every single day. And UP, Uttar Pradesh, has an average of 163 crimes against women every single day, which is the highest in the country. Now, uh, my colleagues Nidhi and Akanksha, as many of you who follow News Laundry might know, have been reporting on the increasing incidence of gender and caste-based crimes in Uttar Pradesh. And their detailed reports, uh, ground reports from Hatras, were widely cited by multiple media organizations. And apart from Hatras, they also have been uh, working on a series uh, from the now infamous Lakhimpur Kheri in Uttar Pradesh, from where uh, multiple cl- cases of violence against women have come to light. Uh, in fact, in August, um, three incidents of rape and murder of minor Dalit girls were reported within a span of 20 days. Now, Nidhi and Akanksha have written detailed reports on each of these three cases. And the final one, which we are going to speak about today, involves a three-year-old uh, child. Uh, Nidhi. Uh, yeah, so this was the this was the last case that we covered. Uh, basically, in the span of 21 days, uh, three rapes had occurred in Lakimpur Kheri. And the three-year-old uh, case happened in a village uh, called Singhai. Also, Lakimpur Kheri is in U- East UP and one of the largest districts of UP. Uh, the case is just that, uh, so basically the three-year-old was playing outside in her courtyard and she went missing. And her parents, uh, of course, got worried and started searching for her. And it was a 12-hour excruciating search that the mother and father had to do. The father also went to the nearby temple where they sent out messages. Yeah, so after 12 hours of looking for their child, the parents uh, found the body of their daughter uh, meters away from their house. And again, this is a pattern we noticed in all the three cases that we uh, looked at where the body was always found fairly close by to the house in the sugarcane fields. And uh, of course, at that stage, not in their wildest imagination had either of the parents imagined that their three-year-old child could have gotten raped. Uh, they obviously saw that she had been murdered. She had been, uh, she died due to asphyxia. Uh, but that evening when the postmortem was conducted, uh, it clearly revealed that her genital area was wounded and lacerated. Her hymen was torn. The lower part of the vagina had blood clots. Um, she was also wounded on her face, neck, chest, and a few other body parts. And um, the cause of death had been concluded to be asphyxia. 
Now the father immediately named uh, somebody called Lekram uh, is the one who possibly has done this to his daughter. Another interesting story is when we visited the house of the accused, they said that six years ago, Lekram's wife had been found raped and murdered again in a village, in a in a field close by, and his wife had been raped and murdered by the victim's father's brother. So the three-year-old father's brother, then he had come out on bail. And there had been a lot of tension between the two families. The accused family believes that they've been falsely accused in the case. And they also said that uh, uh, Lekram was caught in a uh, allegedly false encounter. They, according to his family's version, they left to the police station from their house in a police vehicle. And then the police asked them to sort of get off halfway and uh, gave them 200 rupees and told them to go home. But as soon as they got up and started walking, uh, Lekram was shot on his leg. This is the case so far. I mean, obviously, a charge, has no, a charge sheet has not yet been filed. And there's also been a lot of delay in the courts due to COVID. So the police officials would tell us that it has been filed. But when we would check in the court, there would be no uh, documents at, or diary that has arrived yet. Right. And um, also, what about the forensics, Nidhi? Like, uh, you know, the, the last few reports that you guys have been uh, reporting on, the one thing that pops up every single time is the delay in, uh, you know, the forensic uh, report, right? Because UP has apparently only has two labs. Uh, so in all the cases, uh, we were talking to the police officials and they'd say the charge sheet would get filed. And of course, all of the charge sheet was filed based on circumstantial evidence. Also, because a lot of the times the bodies were found hours later, uh, like in one, two of the cases, it had rained. And in this case, it was 12 hours after. So evidence was tampered on, crime scenes were not sealed off. So we constantly kept asking them on what basis is the investigation done. Now, all of these accused have also been caught on the basis of the fact that they were named in the FIR by the victim's family. Apart from that, the police have told us that they've been questioning people. We asked them, so when the charge sheet is filed, does the FSL report, which is the Forensic Science Laboratory report, does it come? On what basis do you file it? But no, as of now, all, all the time the charge sheet is filed on the basis of circumstantial evidence. And because of the case overload and there being only one forensics laboratory in UP, there's such a over overload of cases in the forensics lab as well that it doesn't come back for six to seven months. So that also means that in a lot of cases, only scientific evidence can sometimes prove, like especially in cases of rape, you know, you have to check clothes, you have to check whether there was semen and nail scratchings, all these things provide really crucial evidence in the case. And when you don't have that, it also means that an accused or an under trial remains in jail for months together. And UP also has one of the most overcrowded jails uh, with a high population of under trials. So it's just a complete sort of the, the the thing is that often cases like these sort of just expose the system uh, so much. Like So in these particular cases, there hasn't been any delay in filing FIRs and all of that. But when you start talking, you start realizing that, you know, there's such delays and such a rot in the system that it's very difficult to get anything moving. And it also makes it very difficult to hold people accountable. Right, right. So, I mean, this case, uh, Nidhi, is actually confusing. I mean, I was reading about it and I was reading about the accused uh, family's uh, version, right, of mm-hmm. events. And uh, it does, I mean, they do have some very valid points. So, what are your impressions so far about this case? Well, I don't think it would be fair for me to sort of uh, give what my impression would be, but 
of course both sides have laid their stories and in the village there's a lot of tension and what we observed was when we uh, went to the victim's family house uh, they of course had uh, they asked for police protection so there was a lot of police people outside their house but they didn't seem to have the sort of support from village that, from villagers that uh, the other victims we had visited had like nobody crowded in their house it was just the mother father and the father's parents uh, but when we went to the accused house when we went to lekram's house almost the uh, the entire neighborhood sort of flocked in and were talking about how lekram's child is physically challenged and they've been helping them and they are they are innocent and they've been protesting so it seemed like the accused family in this case had a lot of support and they, the villagers seemed to believe that that they are innocent and he's been falsely implicated but other than that i mean like i said like it's only and only an fsl report in such cases that can prove anything because these are also not spaces where you have cctv cameras or any anything else and most of them don't have smartphones you can't really track phones and things like that right so even i mean lekram's brother satnam has been uh, you know at the forefront writing letters to the local mp and even even to the prime minister if i'm not mistaken right yeah yeah who's acknowledged his letter and given a date for the hearing but apart from that not much has come through but uh, in this case what was interesting was it was the accused family who was more interested in coordinating with us than the victim's family but i mean that could be due to multiple reasons i can't say that that let that, that uh, say anything but that's one thing that stood out for us right and uh, i mean what are your uh, now that this is the final this is the third report uh, from uttar pradesh right and mm-hmm. what has been i mean i know this might be a tough question to answer because obviously what has been your experience like as a reporter you know consistently consistently reporting on these cases over a period of time i mean i think that there's obviously some patterns and observations that you do see i think one really uh, striking moment for me was when we did the second story which was in pakaria village where the girl was strangled with her dupatta this is a 13 year old and uh, it's just like it's it's such a I mean incidents like this really just break the trust of the society and of other young girls you know like i remember the mother when we when we asked her about her daughter and what had happened her mother was genuinely confused and she looked up at us and she said but my daughter was wearing a dupatta and you know it's it's it this 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 piece of cloth is the dupatta is something that every child in a village if you go around you will see that a, a young girl child will not step out of her house without it and she's told that you know this is the cloth that's going to save you you have to cover yourself you have to not show yourself and in in a lot of cases it was with this very cloth that uh, the girls were strangled with so i mean while this this you know mother was just genuinely confused she said you know she had done everything right there was nothing in this that was her fault and even though villagers were trying to say that you know this 13 year old would talk and laugh and talk to boys i mean what what can a 13 year old i mean there is no way to blame a 13 year old for her rape but just for me that that symbolic image of the dupatta really stood out because i mean i was also trying to talk to a lot of the other young girls and um, i mean what must be going through their heads and and something else that i found really interesting was a lot of these young girls would 
then tell us that we don't feel because these are not rapes that happened it's not like the victims were raped at night they were raped in broad daylight they were raped in sugarcane fields these are places where there are no street lights even at night forget during the day i mean during the day also it's like such an unsafe space for women now and and it also sort of makes you think about how you look at data because every time say you're covering like crimes against women or rape we constantly refer to how many rapes happened in up or how many what is the crime rate we don't look at like does this probably affect the enrollment rate in schools you know and because a lot of young women then told us that we don't feel safe walking from homes to our schools and so we're going to drop out like one of the victims uh, sister clearly told me she said i am not going to go to school anymore i don't feel like stepping out of the house at all so who accounts for all this trauma that you know you put uh, women through in spaces like this and for me what also really stood out was with each family uh, we would sit down with them after and sort of ask them if they'd heard about the nirbhaya case which i mean in our you know little delhi bubble circles we think that this is the watershed moment of anti rape laws and you know things changed after this and there was some closure to it but this is lakimpur khiri is like 8 hours away from delhi and most of them have not even heard of the nirbhaya case for them like that in matter none of that none of the sort of anger that came to some closure in the capital had made had had no effect there so it also sort of makes you think about um, when you may, when we make these claims as journalists or you know as, as activists that things are changing for who is it really changing and 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 in what spaces because a lot of these crimes are also happening in places where Uh, like the mainstream media has no time or interest nidhi uh, one more thing i really wanted to ask you was uh, since you've been to up so many times uh, you know in the last couple of months and uh, you've been reporting on these cases uh, you must have spoken to a lot of you know men what i re- i'm really curious to know about what are the responses of you know men from the village like young old to these incidents yeah so usually the response of men is two ways from what i felt one is uh, either they talk about how the girl was you know in some way either somebody who was very friendly or loved to go outside and some way brought it upon herself and this is something i noticed mostly among reporters there like the stringers we were speaking to were always very suspicious when it came to rape cases they would always tell us ki matlab don't believe everything which which is true of course when we go from outside uh, there's a lot of ways for them to sort of uh, take us for a ride and we wouldn't even know it because we don't understand the place but a lot of the male reporters would just keep telling us this is not a rape but when you do have a post mortem report that clearly shows that certain things happened and you know she has bleeding in her vagina or blood clots or her it's lacerated then it's it is a little difficult as an objective reporter sort of rule it out so that was one and all the other thing is the men sort of took on this really aggressive violent protector role where uh, they would suddenly jump up and say you know now we're going to decide how the women will be in the village and they will not step out and we will guard them so it also took a lot of effort i mean maybe because it's while narrating the incident because it's a it's a rape case the men would sort of fall silent and allow the women to explain things but apart from that when it came to talking about the case the men would just keep like finishing the sentences of the women and we'd have to constantly tell them that no you know you need to wait because they take on and felt this pressure to take on this like protector role but apart from that i didn't i didn't sort of see the men express actually neither men or women expressed shock 
there was a lot of uh, deep sadness and pain of course but it was quite uh, shocking to me that it did, did none of this seemed shocking and maybe that exposes my naiveness but i also don't think like we should lose a sense of outrage in that sense but but that sort of that was really sad that none of this seemed to be shocking to anyone yeah uh, i think uh, i mean one of the things that were pointed out in this uh, report i think it was on khabar leheria right about these cases uh, in uttar pradesh and they said how uh, you know there are so many times that uh, i mean uh, the, the fact that you know you expected to be shocking but uh, it's not shocking to them only means that it's a, you know a regular thing yeah. right i mean it yeah. happens quite a lot and now people have gotten sort of used to it uh, but uh, you know that report said something around the lines of how you know there's always some kind of samjhota between mm. the families you know uh, when it reaches the panchayat and you know somebody is paid off and then everything just is shoved under the rug yeah yeah no no absolutely because uh, a lot of this also plays a lot on along caste lines so it depends on the caste of the accused and the caste of the victim and that really determines a massive part of the case like in pakaria village with the 13 year old case the uh, accused one of the accused is, is she was gang raped and one of the accused is an upper caste and one of the accused is a lower caste who happens to be the neighbor of the victim when we met both families they had very different body languages very different ways of narrativizing it like like the uh, lower caste accused family very clearly said that you know we don't like we didn't see our son for half an hour and we don't know what he did and if he has done it then he must be shot in public and like we will accept there's a sort of surrendering to the system in that we will accept whatever whatever is served to us Hmm. but on the other hand if when we met uh, santosh yadav's family who was the upper caste uh, accused they were extremely aggressive and they were very clear that uh, there is no way that you know he's going to be and languish in jail and we are going to get him out no matter what although in between they'd say yeah if he's done it he should be shot in public the determination and the entitlement and the ability to even imagine freedom is located to a very small section even in even in like villages i mean in cities we still are entitled to dream of a lot more things but even to imagine freedom is located to very few castes so that was very evident and also really how physically divided villages still are in so many places and where you know uh, like if suppose santosh yadav's family the upper caste family is taking us or uh, walking us down the village they will not walk past a certain part of the village and say that that side of the lower caste and we will not come that side and it's these little i mean that's something i also felt that lacked in our reports if i had to pinpoint something that we weren't able to immerse ourselves enough to really understand the different layers of violence like we were really looking at one case and also i mean i i'm i'm i feel constantly guilty of reducing uh, these two families to victim and accused uh, mm-hmm. but i'm sure there's so much more to the story than even what we could bring to the table i mean to be able to immerse yourself in a story like that for a reporter uh, you obviously it has a lot to do with time and resources right if you were able to spend more time in that village i'm sure you would have been able to do that but uh, you know 
I mean, we are a small team and all of that. Yeah. So people, please do pay to keep news free. <laughs> Subscribe to News Laundry so reporters like Nidhi can go and spend more time on stories, bring you more detailed stories with more nuances. So that brings us to the end of uh, today's discussion. Thank you, Nidhi, for talking to us. And we shall finish off with some recommendations. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Sure. Okay, I um, read this really beautiful novel called uh, Netherland this week uh, by an author called Joseph O'Neill. It's about uh, this man, Dutch man who lives in New York. But the idea is that there are always many countries within a country. And he it's his discovery of this uh, immigrant culture in New York and really well written, extremely well written actually. So people should uh, read that if they want. And so there are very interesting excerpts from Obama's memoirs, which are available on New Yorker and the Atlantic and other places. So if you can, I think the Atlantic, they have a preface, which is very interesting. So if you want to read that, uh, please definitely check it out. He's one of the rare politicians who can also write, you know, uh-huh. it's a rare quality to have for politicians. So I think uh, it makes for a good reading. Sure. Thank you, Ayush. Nidhi? Uh, I have two recommendations. I think um, one was uh, one of the episodes of Seen and Unseen podcast by Amit Verma. It's the importance of data journalism. It's a little older. I think it's two weeks old. But I recently listened to it and I thought it was a very interesting podcast on how not to isolate journalism from data journalism. And it's it's something that is my weak point. So it was very interesting to hear somebody like Rukmini talk about her journey. Uh, into and through data journalism and uh, the other book that I wanted to recommend was uh, Days of Abandonment by Elena Ferrante it's a fiction novel uh, it's, it just gave me such a break from reading uh, news and also so so beautifully written uh, this is a pseudonym and I think till now people have only been guessing who uh, she is yeah. it's also never revealed if it is a she or he but it's uh, it's quite an emotional read yeah Thank you. Thank you, Nadi. So my recommendation is this uh, collection of uh, five long short stories. It's called Don't Look Now. It's by this writer called Daphne du Maurier. And I think it was published in the 70s. And I've just gotten uh, to the first story. I'm like halfway through the first story. But it, you know, it's very Hitchcockian, like, it's horror, but not, you know, on your face, jump scare kind of horror. So, um, yeah, I won't give away the story. I guess um, you guys should go ahead and read it because it's a short story. And, uh, yeah, I think that's my recommendation because I've completely, I've consciously decided to completely tune out Uh, (laughs) apart from, uh, you know, whatever stuff I have to read for reporters. So, uh, listeners, if you liked what you heard, please do rate our podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you tuned into. We also have a bunch of other podcasts like Hafta and Awful and Awesome. Better the rating, more the reach. And that means more subscribers and that means better content. So listeners, if you like what you heard, uh, we also have a lot more content other than podcasts and interviews. You'll find all of it on our new and swanky website. We have a lot of ground reports and please do support young journalists like us who want to be on ground and pay to keep news free. And also, we're very eager to hear your feedback. 
So please do write to us at contact at newslaundry.com with reporters without orders in the subject line. Uh, you could also leave your comments on Twitter or our Instagram page or our Facebook page. And yeah, looking forward to hearing from you. And with that, this podcast is adjourned. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.